March for Missions campaign. Really kicked it off last week, but, but with our guest speaker series starting today, uh, I'm really excited for you to get to hear uh, Brady Bryce here today. I, I met Brady uh, at a snowy monastery in Minnesota almost a year ago, which sounds like the beginning of a great story, but it was really just a class. Um, but it was a great class. And, and those of you who I've talked to about that week that, that I was able to spend with both Brady and his wife Donna uh, and the, the community of students that was there know what a blessing it was to me. Uh, Brady has a real uh, heart and passion uh, for, for raising up ministers uh, to be spiritually formed, ministers and Christians. Uh, and he focuses a lot on Christian spiritual formation. Uh, when he's at ACU, he's the director of Contextual Ministry. Is that the title? Contextual Ministry Program. Uh, and what that program really does, it's kind of a fancy way of saying that Brady's job is to help train young men and women to grow up uh, and get into ministry and to do effective ministry wherever God plants them, ready for any circumstance in any situation. Uh, and one of the things that he believes and does in that program as being a foundational thing for preparing young people to do ministry wherever God sends them is he spends a lot of time connecting them to God, connecting them through prayer, uh, through spiritual formation, through helping them develop a relationship with God to be spiritually fulfilled, uh, spiritually filled, so that when they go into uh, the, the work, whether it's missions or ministry or, or wherever God plants them, that it's out of an abundance of being filled with God that they do ministry, that they, they have God in themselves to such an extent that they're ready to put God in others. And, and so when it came time to look for someone uh, who could really talk to us about the power and importance of praying for our missionaries, uh, of connecting spiritually with God and what our missionaries are doing in the world, uh, I immediately reached out to Brady. I'm so excited that you get to uh, spend this time with him and Brady, you get to spend this time with us this morning. Uh, so come on up and let me pray for you and, and then I'll uh, let you get started. God, I want to ask that you would be with Brady this morning. I want to ask that you would be with him as he brings your word to us, that he would be a great encouragement and inspiration, and that he would challenge us to move forward in prayer and in missions. Uh, Father, I ask that you would be with him as he travels today with his family. I'm so grateful for um, their sacrifice in being here and willingness to be here and, and be a part of our family this morning. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kent. <laughs> you don't need a mic, right? We don't need a mic. Thank you so much, Northwest Church, for having us. We have driven a lot to be here. We're honored to be around this church that we've heard so many good things about. Through the years, the Northwest Church has been a group of people that is really focused on diligent service and teaching. And we're, we're just honored to be here. Uh, like Kent said, I got to meet Kent uh, a year ago, and it was just a delight to get to know him. Got to meet the rest of his family last night. What a, what a just a wonderful, wonderful family. And I can't tell you uh, how rare it is for a church to be able to get a young minister, especially one that you trust and you love. That is very difficult. And so I commend you for that. I commend Bill. I mean, how rare is it for a minister to retire and step away and hand over this work that he loves so dearly to another. That speaks well of him, 
That speaks well of this church, and, and I especially thank the leadership, too. This leadership must know that this is God's church. And this is God's ministry. And it's not attached to any one person. So I, it just, I have to express that thanks to you for getting to be with you and see you eye to eye. Now, we have done a, a bit of driving to get here. We drove to Dallas yesterday for a meeting and then drove up here last night. And it made me think, driving in Dallas and Oklahoma City and everywhere in between, of another little trip that Donna and I made down deep into the heart of Dallas. Uh, the doctor that she worked for had given us a gift certificate to celebrate our anniversary. So we got in the car and we drove into downtown Dallas. And I'm driving and I'm weaving in and out. And Donna kept gasping. <gasps> Ooh, uh, Brady. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm just driving. You're not on the highway very much. Well, I could, she was pushing right through the floor, <laughs> trying to give me all kinds of guidance about how to drive. And I'm kind of a little huffy about it. We get to the restaurant. It's wonderful. We have a great dinner. We come back home. It's the same thing on the way home, <laughs> even though it's not rush hour. <gasps> Brady, oh, look out. Uh. Finally, we pull into the garage, and she says, thank you for getting us home safely. <laughs> and I said, well, thank you. That means a lot. She said, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to God. <laughs> so now you know a little bit about my wife's prayer uh, relationship, how interactive it is with God. It is so good to be in Oklahoma. I have deep roots in the red soil of Oklahoma. Both sides of my family came to Oklahoma in the late 1800s when it was Indian territory. So we've just got these roots that go way, way down. And it's a pleasure to be here. I, I think about growing up. Uh, I was born in Colorado on my parents' first mission. And I was raised later, middle school and high school in Colorado and while I was in college. But we did have a, a season of time where we were back in dad's hometown of Altus, Oklahoma. And I remember a life marked by devotion to God, of going to church, being involved in youth group, everything kind of marked by the farming seasons of being indoors and outdoors. And I remember that there was one prayer in particular that I could not pray. One, one phrase that I couldn't bring myself to pray. I could ask God for wisdom, I could ask God for all kinds of things, but I couldn't pray this one prayer. I'll say more about that in a minute. I want to come to you, Northwest Church. I've bragged on you a little bit, but uh, I've heard of your faith. I've read about who you are, even on your website. I've heard secondhand, I've heard thirdhand, the great things that you're doing. And as I look at your website, I see that there are people committed to prayer already. You know, this is the month, about to be the month of March for missions, where you're gearing up to uh, rejuvenate your focus on missions, to give extra money towards mission, to give of your time. And I just think, well, who am I to come and talk to you about prayer? You have a group of women on Tuesdays at 11 that get together for prayer. You have when, uh, men, they get together on Wednesday night at 6 for prayer. From what I understand, the elders will be available for prayer even during this service. So who am I to tell you anything at all about prayer? 
you're already doing it. You already know that it's important. So I hope, I hope you'll give me this grace today to help all of us deepen and strengthen what we already know to be important, but to make that resolve even more fixed. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this day, for the chance to gather around your word, to hear your word proclaimed, to gather at the table, to eat of the body and blood of Jesus. And we pray that today, that your word will not come in word alone, but with power, with full conviction, and with the Holy Spirit. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So back to that prayer that I couldn't pray growing up. That I was just too hesitant to let myself pray. And the reason I couldn't pray this prayer is because I take it very seriously. You don't commit to pray and not follow through. You don't ask God to do things and then not be ready for what he's willing to do with you. And I, I say that because you've got a challenge in front of you from your leaders. Your leaders are asking you to commit to pray for one missionary family for a whole year, every day. To pray together as a, as a family group, as a, a couple, as an individual, whatever your roommate situation looks like, that you would pray for missionaries. Well, the prayer that I had hesitation in praying was giving my life fully to God, to let God do whatever God wanted with my life. That just seems so dangerous. He might take me to some far-off country, take me to a place whose language I don't know, or a continent that I'd never been to, or some area that would make me very uncomfortable, and so I was hesitant to pray that prayer. I just didn't know if I wanted to pray it. Well, I'll say more about that later. As we look at missions and as we look at mission, uh, I get the benefit of having some outside eyes and ears today. This is my first time to ever come to Northwest. Are, are any, is anybody else a first time folk? Okay. Well, it, it's, it's uncomfortable, right? But we see things whenever we're here for the first time that, that would be unfamiliar to us. And those outside ears and outside eyes help a bit. One of the things that Christians do when we talk about mission and missions is we use those two words differently. Have you noticed this? We'll throw them around, and for, for us on the outside, like those that are maybe not Christian, mission and mission sounds the same. But think about it. We've got our missions banquets that are about missionaries and maybe something far out there. We have a church mission statement that's in the singular, that's this purpose or this identity. And we, we keep those kind of separate in our minds. Well, I, I, uh, I wonder about that as an outsider. Are those things really all that different? Missions, evangelism out there, in another neighborhood, in a different part of the world, versus who God is calling me to be. Are those really all that different. And one of the places that we run to is Acts. We run to Acts to tell us a little bit about both missions and mission. All right, see if this doesn't ring true for you. When we think about 
missions, this foreign evangelistic service, we'll run to Acts 1, verse 8, right? They, uh, you, will, you will wait for the Holy Spirit, and it will come from on high with power. And then you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? We go there. That tells us something about missions. Well, you go to the next chapter, and we like to go to, to Acts 2.42 and 2.43 about the mission of the church, of them devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Awe comes upon everyone because of many signs being done. Well, here's why I don't want to go there today. I've preached those sermons. Those are good sermons. That is exactly... Very important message, but there's a danger, a problem that I want us to avoid today uh, in this particular sermon of thinking about mission in terms of geography. Think about it in terms of somewhere else that we go. And I'm counting on this already being familiar to you, that these are the things that you're already talking about. This is how your faith has been expanded and grown. And I want us to avoid that potential problem today. Because I don't want us to separate who we are from how we are involved in God's mission. I want to integrate those two, and I want us to see them as together. And the way I want to do it today is uh, to take a test case church. One of these churches from Acts, but just to see what it's like on the ground. How one of these churches actually lives out the command of the apostles, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the one that I want to look at, the, the, the passage was already read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's the place that I want us to look at. This oldest document in the New Testament. That's right. The oldest one. I want to go there and see what's going on from this ancient document. Several things happen early on, so let's look at a few of these verses. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers. Constantly remembering before our God and Father your labor, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. Wow. Wow. Why all this effusive prayer? All my prayers, constantly remembering. Is this just preacher talk from Paul? Or is this real? Where he is always praying for this group of people. I want to know more. Well, then, then if you look in verse 4, it says, For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he's chosen you. Oh, if we go too quickly away from that, we'll miss something that we'll unpack more in a moment. But they are brothers and sisters. They are part of this family where God has made them. They are loved by God. That's their identity. And they're chosen by God. How are they living into that identity? What's it looking like? And then if you kept reading in this early on chapter, he says that fame like your fame, has spread all over everywhere. People are talking about them. What? I want to know why. Why, are, why is this church so special? Why is Paul remembering them in his prayers and talking about them everywhere? 
So let's take a look. Let's tell that story. This oldest document was probably written between 49 and 50, somewhere in there, maybe as early as 41 to 44. Now that means Jesus had been crucified only 10 to 15 years before this. So we get this oldest document of a place that's on the Via Ignatia, this road that stretches across Greece. It's a 200-year-old road that connected them all the way to our modern-day Istanbul, or for them, Byzantium. And they are able to, uh, to know something about who Paul is because of his backstory. This group of people really valued Paul, but if, if you remember, Saul was the way things got started. And Saul was an gr- avid persecutor of the church, imprisoner, and killer of Christians. And you know the backstory. This Jewish rabbi goes around finding Christians, persecuting them, imprisoning them, and even overseeing their own death. But something changes when this fiery Jewish rabbi meets the dead and crucified Jesus in a vision that blinds him on the road, and his mission of violence is over. But it's not really over. Now, he gets his name changed. He goes from being Saul, this rabbi that persecutes, to Paul, who preaches for Jesus, but the violence doesn't leave him. The violence is now on him. The one who was uh, a bruiser for God now becomes the one who is bruised for God. That's a big shift. It's a big change. Well, the way it has worked for him in his ministry is he will go to a synagogue, he'll preach, they'll like him, they'll hate him, maybe they'll run him out of town, maybe they'll beat him up, maybe they'll throw him in jail. That's the way it looks. In Antioch, they thought he was turning the world upside down. He was messing with the thing, the way things were, flipping upside down the status quo. He was chased out of Berea. In Lystra, he was beaten so badly that those that beat him left him for dead. Think about that kind of a beating. They're done with him, and he, he leaves. He gets up, and he walks away from that. Philippi, he gets the triple whammy, persecuted, beaten with rods, thrown in prison. And so something different happens in Thessalonia. There's a shift. The story takes a little bit of a turn. Now he does the normal thing. He goes, he teaches. They like him. Ah, they don't like him. And they go to get him to beat him up, but something different happens that's not a part of the stock storyline. This is where in the movie you start paying attention because it's not following the norm. The believers hide Paul and Silas. I don't know, maybe in a dark cellar? Some place where the, even the authorities can't find him. And the authorities don't give up. They go straight into the house of Jason, where he was, and they drag out Jason and his family and all the believers that are there. They drag them, accuse them, throw them all in jail. And Paul and Silas and their others get away. Now this is different. This is a shift. Paul had become accustomed to being the one beaten up, but now... He's got a group of people that are willing to be beaten with him. I wonder how it makes him feel. 
Is he thankful? Oh, man. Wow. Is he a little guilty? Oh, that, that's, that's normally my part of the story. I, I'm normally the one beaten up. Is he just grateful to let some broken bones and beat up face to just kind of heal for a few days, to just sit on the donkey or the mule and rest and recover? I don't know, but this is a huge, huge shift. It's seismic. It's seismic like Saul, the one that was the bruiser, becoming the one bruised. It's seismic in that Paul is now used to being beaten, and here he has a group of people that are willing to be beaten on his behalf. It's so seismic it moves back to the apostles when they abandon Jesus, and Jesus takes the abuse, Later in their life, they're able to step into that place and take the abuse. Well, this is where I want us to hang out. This is where I want us to camp. Because we've seen something about their identity. And I want to know more about this shift from identity into action. Their identity, Paul well spills, spells out. God made you. You are brothers and sisters. God has created you. This is true for all of us in this room. Whether or not we believe it, it's fundamental to our identity. God made you. He calls them beloved. So it's not enough that God just makes you. God loves you. He is in your court. He is working on your behalf, even when the external circumstances don't seem like, Paul, not, don't seem like God is working for you. And, and Paul's no stranger to that, right? A third part of this identity is being chosen. One that God wants to go into partnership with. That's you. He doesn't just make you. He loves you. He wants to dwell in you and work with you in this life. So here's my uncomfortable question. I've delayed it as long as I can. I've told you about the difficulty of me praying that prayer, and it's passages like this that made me cautious about praying that prayer of giving everything to God because you just don't know what's going to happen all right are you ready for your question now are you willing to be beaten up on behalf of your missionaries are are you willing to be accused on behalf of your ministers and the leadership of this church now, that might sound a little too violent. That might sound a little harsh. But that's the shift of just having this identity to moving into one of action. One where we're willing to pray for and with our ministers and our missionaries. That's a big deal. That points to the kind of relationship that we have with God as to whether or not we're able to take these people that serve among us and bring them regularly into the presence of God? Are we willing to hide them in a cellar, hide them in a safe place of God's protection with our families, in the midst of our prayers, in reaching out and in relationship with God? You know, you don't, you don't just get to a point where you suddenly are willing to take a bullet for someone or to take abuse that someone else deserves. That comes out of relationship and love. 
So this request that your elders and your leaders are giving you to pray for your ministers and missionaries is no small request. It's an invitation into relationship where we will come to love one another through our prayers to God. I see this as Paul's example. He shows them what it's like. I'm praying for you always and constantly. That's how this letter begins. If you were to flip back to the last chapter, looking in chapter 5, verse 25, he has a whole section further on prayer. And one of his simple requests in verse 25 is, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Wow. Imagine. Imagine what could happen with a group of people, a church that's committed to pray for those that serve among them. What if we were to deepen our prayer life and to where it became the work of love, this labor of faith, this steadfastness of hope? We get so many notifications on our phones that that becomes our world that we live in. But what if prayer became just a part of who we are? I know I joked about my wife Donna in the car. No, I wasn't talking to you, I was talking to God. That's a humorous way of thinking about it. But what if prayer so permeated who we were, and among this group of people it probably does, but what if it took even a greater hold over us? I'll tell you just a few stories here as we, as we begin to wind down. My family realized uh, when we moved to Abilene that we really didn't know our neighbors. We had some speculations about who they were, what their background was. And we started walking our own neighborhood, just praying silently for our neighbors. That's some risky business. What it led to, oddly enough, is a minister coming to us and saying, hey, church went out of business. We've got this building. We want you to do something with it. What? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. A church going, what? So what we did was to begin to pray in that church, that abandoned church, for that neighborhood that was just less than a mile from our home. For three months, nobody knew we were there. And then we started walking the neighborhood, praying. First, with no one knowing, but just walking. And then, with intentionality, every Sunday afternoon, our family would walk the same street. We did this for five years. Same street, same neighbors. We'd say, knock on their door. Hello, we're, we're the Bryces. We're your neighbors. What can we pray for you? That's it. Nothing more than that. And we got all kinds of responses. Well, sure, yeah, here's what I would pray for. Really? Oh, okay. We got invited into smoky kitchens. We got invited into to lovely living rooms. We got invited into yard conversations. And there were people that were resistant as well. One man, one man in particular comes to my mind today. His name was Clinton. He said, ah, oh, you don't want to pray for me? I'm an agnostic. I don't believe in God. He might exist, but I don't believe in him. I'm like, that's fine. And then we talked to him for 20 or 30 minutes. Every week, hi, we're your neighbors. Hello, Clinton. How are you? What can we pray for you? Ah, oh, nothing. I'm an agnostic. He'd usually throw in some language to, to let us know <laughs> that we probably need to spend our time elsewhere. Our kids can handle it. Well, we're all living in a world 
Sometimes it's a world of our own construction. Sometimes it's a world where we assume things about our neighbors that aren't true. And God's calling us to go across those boundaries, to not see one another based upon political party or race or even religious background or non-religious background. We are human beings. We have to cross these lines. We're in a time of great destruction. Now, I don't know if, if what world you find yourself living in, but we're all living in a world of our own creation. Maybe you're living in a world of Warcraft world. Maybe you're living in a Fortnite world. Well, yeah, we could have, you know, who, who, who plays what video game? Well, sometimes video games get hammered on, but I want you to think about how all elements of our lives build a world. Last year, Fortnite became designated as the most destructive game to marriages in the UK. This was just last year, because in 200 cases in the UK, the year wasn't even over, but 200 divorce cases specifically mentioned Fortnite as a reason. Now, I'm not up here to talk about video games. Parents don't go and like take away video games. No, 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 no. I'm inviting you to think about the world that you're living in of your own creation. What is that world? And are we willing to pray that God would do whatever God wills with us? I think a lot about Clinton, especially this weekend. Clinton recently died. There's more to the story on Clinton because the more we visited with him, as the years went on, his wife got ill and he asked us to pray for his wife. And we did. We even visited her in the hospital. And she did eventually die. And when she died, he came out of his home that he so rarely got out of and tried to find where we were at. Came to that abandoned building and said, I'm looking for those people that care. Clinton became a Christian. Recommitted his life to God. Became so involved in that ministry, he was there every time it was open. Began driving a bus for another ministry. And so I think a lot about Clinton. His funeral services will be tomorrow outside of Abilene. There's just no telling what happens when you pray. When you, when you cross these lines of division and pray. I want to close just by recapping where we've been. Because I've been rambling off every which way today. I've been driving on all kinds of roads today. I can say that being able to pray that prayer to God has taken me in all kinds of places. To my own Ninevehs, right? To places I thought I'd never go, like Texas. <laughs> to Abilene Christian. To, to Abilene itself, right? But when you're with God, there is no safer place to be. And I'll say it again. This is your identity. You were created by God. You are loved dearly by God. And God has chosen you, you in particular, to go into business with. So hear that. Second, I want you to hear that we are affirming that prayer creates and shapes relationship with God and with one another. And finally, that prayer when it's resilient, when it's resolved, 
can endure all kinds of suffering, and good things come to those who pray. Well, you don't need me to tell you that. But there it is. May your resolve for prayer be strengthened. Today we're going to sing a song, and I'm sure it's an opportunity for you to come forward for prayer if you need it. It's an opportunity for you to say, I am ready, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 15th time, whatever time it is, to commit yourself to the work of God in this world, and specifically in this church, and in your own life. If there is any way that this group of leaders can help you, we're going to stand up and invite you to come as we sing. <laughs>